Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. today is Anise Kavanaugh. Anise is devoted to helping people show up and bring their best selves to the table in order to create significant positive impact on their lives. She's the creator of the IEP method and author of Contagious Culture, Show Up, Set the Tone, and Intentionally Create an Organization that Thrives. Welcome, Anise. Hi, Paul. Just so, so great to talk to you. And, and uh, I know uh, we've known each other for a number of years. I've followed your career. I'm so proud of the the work that you've been doing and the people that you're touching. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Contagious Culture and the IEP method. Where did all this come about? Sure, sure. So IEP stands for Intentional Energetic Presence. And your intentional energetic presence is basically exactly what it sounds like in that it's being intentional about the energy and the presence that you bring into the room and into any situation you're in. And that can be whether you're leading other people or whether you're sitting down to have a conversation with your kids or whether you are sitting down to gather your taxes for the year. Um, so it's basically just how are you showing up? You know, what is, how do you show up for yourself internally? And then therefore, how do you show up for the rest of the world externally? So that's the IEP method. And we have, there's three, three primary components that we take people through to really help them, um, ground them, ground themselves in a very intentional, energetic presence so they can create more of the results that they want in the world. And then contagious culture is the book that I wrote that goes through the IEP methodology and how you actually bring that to your leadership and into your teams and into your organization. Because the, what I believe is that we're all contagious and how we show up matters and has profound impact and that we're able to uh, truly set the tone. And because we're contagious, whatever energy we bring into a situation is more likely to create more of the same with the people around us. So those are, those are kind of how those two things work together. All right. So you, you talked about a lot of things. And for, let's say, yes. a listener, a business person who is just grinding every day doing their thing, and we start hearing uh, terms like show up, energy, presence, and yeah. maybe we're kind of cynical about that. Uh, you know, what does that mean? That's kind of a bunch of hooey, right? <laughs> so, all right. So break it down a little bit and tell me uh, what that really means um, from a practical standpoint. Okay. It's so hooey. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you guys to alleviate anybody who's going, oh, this is so hooey. I've done this on ships with Navy SEALs, and we've also done this in Shanghai and in New York. And even though it's hooey and a lot of people go, oh, this is a California thing, actually, most of my business gets done in New York City and Chicago and L.A. So although L.A. I know could be hooey. And anyway, um, so if we break this down into what that basically means, it's this. Anybody listening to this interview right now, anybody, every single person has the experience of walking into a room and the person that walks into the room, they either feel themselves uh, expand. I think about it as I think in terms of expansion and contraction, they either feel themselves expand and be happy and feel good that that leader's in the room or they feel themselves contract, which, you know, they kind of, you can feel, I look at everything in terms of energy. So the, the question becomes as a leader, your impact in a room, your lead, your impact in a conversation, do you create expansion and inspiration with the people that you lead 
or do you create contraction or nih with the people that you lead? And when I look at this, Paul, I, I think another way to, to frame this for people is when I started doing this work years ago, I started to find that there were three kinds of leaders that came to me. And the first leader was the person who's having tremendous impact. They might be killing it in their business. They're making great money, um, you know, just really, really good at their craft, whatever they're up to. And uh, the only problem is, is that they're burning out. You know, their marriages are falling apart. Their health is falling apart. They're exhausted. They're working a ton and there might be a little bit of resentment developing. So that person has the impact piece of what I, of what I think of in the leadership trifecta. They have impact down, but they don't have the self-care piece down. Then there's the kind of leader who has the self-care piece down, you know, maybe works nine to five, takes really great care of themselves. There are chakras, you know, to go back to Hui, they're all in alignment. They eat whole foods every day. They go to yoga, you know, maybe they work nine to five, who knows? Their self-care is fantastic, but they're not great at creating impact and influencing people and getting stuff done. So there's two kinds. And then there's the third kind of leader. And this is actually, um, some, this is pretty common and this leader Maybe they're having great impact and they've got great self-care, but they leave dead, dead bodies everywhere they go. So they're doing it at the expense of other people. You know, they're, they're getting their results, but they're, they're the kind of leader that people are following because they have to versus because they want to. Um, and that all has to do with their energetic presence and how they're showing up. And so when I look at that leadership trifecta, what I found is that we all have elements in that, you know, generally speaking, I think people do pretty well in two areas. We always have an Achilles heel for most people. I find the Achilles heel tends to be in self care. Um, that's not always the case, but that's really common. And so when we look at that leadership trifecta in order to be the most effective leader who people follow because they want to, um, you know, the most effective leader who feels how they want to feel is having the impact they want to have and is creating a culture that is healthy and feels good. We've got to address those three components. And so the IEP method takes people through, all right, let's bring it down to, down to basics to, to get you back into your own um, space and have you pause for a moment and just start to be very intentional about what is the impact you're actually creating by how you show up. And, and how, how do you do that from a practical standpoint if I'm a leader and, and uh, I'm trying to f- figure out, all right, day to day. Um, sure. I want to try to do something a little bit differently. I want to show up. I want to be present. I want to have the right energy in just a simple conversation or a meeting that I'm having. Sure. What would be an example of how I would do that? Sure, absolutely. So the first step, to me, 70% of this work is just in awareness. So a lot of times just noticing in that moment, as if I'm that leader that you're talking about, me just stopping and noticing how present am I actually in this conversation? How truly am I really here or am I thinking about what's, what I've got to do next. Am I, am, am I in a state of judgment? Am I a state of, um, busyness? You know, am I projecting the energy of busy? Like what is, how present am I right now to this human being in front of me and how am I showing up? What is the energy that I've just brought to this conversation? And when I do, you know, in practical terms, when we do this work, the first thing I always start people with, and I, and I think you've, you've seen this actually is I'll start them with an energy check, which is really, really simple, but it's just saying, all right, what's your physical energy right now? What's your, you know, how physically, how are you showing up mentally? How present are you? And vibrationally, I do use the word vibrationally, vibrationally, what is the energy you're projecting at this person? So the minute I have awareness that my, how I show up matters, the minute I have awareness that my presence has impact automatically, I'm at the 70% mark. And now I'm at choice to decide how I'd like to show up instead. So it might just be simply taking a nice deep breath 
just being aware of that. And then that can shift it in a moment. And when we look at the actual method, that there's the three parts. The first is the reboot, which I just spoke to lightly. And it's just being able to reboot your presence in the moment so that you can be here right now as intentional as possible. The second component of the methodology is building a strong energetic field, which really goes into it's more it's it's uh, it's the bigger part of the methodology, which is looking at your self-care, you know, your nutrition, your how you're taking care of your body, your mindset, like what do the thoughts that you think, do they actually support you in showing up in service of other people, uh, your vibrational impact, you know, the energy you're projecting and then your relational energy in terms of how you're showing up with others. So we look at strengthening those four quadrants. And then the third part of the methodology is creating intentional impact, which there's a five-step framework, which I'm happy to give you guys. I, I can give you a link, Paul, that people can go and get it. Um, but the five-step framework is basically, you know, anytime I go into any conversation, any meeting, any business venture, I'm going to have impact. And it's either going to be positive, negative, or beige. And so since I'm going to have impact, I might as well be intentional about it. And when I take people through the five steps then all of a sudden they're able to craft their impact more intentionally and more likely they're going to have the result that they want to have. You know, that's a, it's amazing. You've put a whole process behind it. And it, it, in some ways, for those that aren't familiar, it might sound complicated, but I think just like anything else, it becomes habit. And uh, I know as, as someone who uh, took up meditation for the first time just a couple of years ago and, and always thought that was hooey, you know, until I tried it and then realized that uh, what it did for me and, and what uh, you were able to do with me too is help me understand that just stopping for a moment and 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 saying you know am I here am yeah. I am I listening am I paying attention and right away you just get a different perspective and you realize that uh, how your body kind of changes too because I remember people telling me in in my company that uh, I was never one to ever raise my voice in a meeting or whatever, but people could absolutely tell from my body language how I felt if I was excited or if I was disappointed, and and it just came across. And and the moment you just stop for a moment and and, pay, and sort of pay attention to where you are in that and the impact, like you're saying, that you have, and then uh, be intentional about the. Uh, the impact you want to make or the framework. It really yeah. is. It, it's an amazing transformation. And, and I think that anybody uh, with the right tools can can do it. I th uh, it's just really what you put together is, uh, is kind of mind blowing for so many people that don't really realize how they show up is uh, is critical to any conversation. And hey, man, this applies to our kids, to our, our spouses. I mean, everything in life. So, uh, yeah. but let's let me take you back a little bit because I want to know where all this came from. Um, you I obviously, think, yeah, okay. go ahead. So, no, I just I just want to add one thing. To, I mean, I, thank you, thank you for what you just offered. And I also you you, you underlined something really important that this might feel complex, but actually, I believe that this is the simplest thing in the world. In that. I believe that we're born with the ability to be present and we're born with a lot, a lot of stuff I'm saying. And a lot of these frameworks are just reminders for people. And the minute I, I was just in Vegas last week giving a keynote and it was interesting because the minute I had the room stop and just go, okay, guys, notice your own space right now. Like, how are you personally feeling? And the minute I pointed to people that people have their own space that changes the en energy of the whole room. And I had people coming up to me afterwards and going, gosh, I didn't realize that how powerful my presence can be in a room. And there is a rule that says the lowest vibration, it's a rule, Anise's rule, but it's not just my rule. The rule is that the lowest vibration in the room will win. 
unless you as a leader are able to hold your state. So for example, you walk into a room, you've got eight people about to have a meeting, six people are rah, rah, ready to go. They feel really good to be around. And you got those two people, you know, that one or two people that always their, their energy's lower. They've got their arms crossed. Their fa- they've got funky facial expressions. What generally will happen is the people in that room will start to join. They'll match that energetic vibration. And then that meeting, the, the quality of the meeting will go down. Mm-hmm. So being able to uh, be aware of your impact when you walk in the room and being able to hold your state in the midst of chaos and people coming at you and negativity and everything, that to me is one of the most important leadership skills and the most important superpowers that we have. So I, so sorry to like stay there, but I want to stay there for one more second. Well, I think it's a really an important point. And as leaders, sometimes we, we learn to, that it's important to be humble and to sit back and to observe and don't realize that we can use that presence in a very powerful, positive way uh, to, to change the scope of a conversation or a meeting or set the example for others. So I think that's really important to, to talk about. And yet this stuff didn't all come to you one day where, uh, where you said, okay, this is what I'm about. This is how I'm going to spend my career. Uh, this is the kind of creativity I'm going to give back to the world. Where did this all start? I mean, did you get, uh, did you have a, a, an epiphany one day as a child? You know, what's, what are some of the events that led to all this? Yeah. Oh gosh. Thank you. Um, well, actually I think that, I think that this body of work actually started with world-class chocolate at Baskin Robbins. Um, world-class chocolate for those of you that don't know what that is it's 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 amazing ice cream but basically uh i was 14 years old and i my i had just gone through my family had just gone through a divorce and i was really really bummed out and i needed to get a job so i went to baskin robbins and you had to be 15 to work there and i lied on my application paul and i said i was 15 and they interviewed me and at the end of the interview The guy said to me, Anish, is there anything else we should know? And I said, I'm so sorry. I've been, uh, I've been dishonest. I'm actually only 14, but I thought if I could meet you and get my foot in the door at Baskin Robbins, that maybe we could figure something out. (laughs) And he said, oh, okay, well that's, he goes, that's kind of a big deal, you know, lying on an application and oh my gosh. And we want you to know that the reason why we're hiring you is because of your integrity. And it was the first time I'd ever heard the word integrity. And, um, and I went, oh, I have integrity, you know? And, and so that, that I feel like that I can still remember where I was sitting in my house. Um, I can still remember that phone call and I can still remember getting off and going, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I told the truth. So I think integrity was introduced to me there. And that had a physiological, excuse me, impact in my system that felt important. So then, excuse me, I start going and I'm working at Baskin Robbins and I would walk to and from work every day, about two miles after school. And I was really, really grumpy and I'm scooping world-class chocolate. And I'm, as I'm scooping world-class chocolate, I go into the freezer and I'm thinking about how hard life is right now and how this is going to suck. And now how are we going to figure this out? And I'm just, I'm having a little bit of a, uh, I don't want to call it a pity party because it was like a genuine, I was genuinely bummed out, but I was bummed. And all of a sudden the thought occurs to me as I'm scooping the second scoop, the thought occurs, well, wait a minute, Denise, what if this doesn't have to be the story of your life. Like what if your life doesn't have to be horrible because of this? What if you could decide to just be really happy now? And I made a decision. Like I came out of that ice cream freezer and I made a decision and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to have a phenomenal life. And that was the, when I came out of that and gave the guy his scoops, I was different. I could feel my system had changed again. And I, I believe that that was my first experience of, um, 
being in relationship with deciding and intention and going, no, 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 hold on a second. Sure. All this stuff is happening around me that doesn't feel good, but what do I want to create and what do I want my story to be? And how do I actually use this to now create a life that I really love? And so that was where I started. Wow. Uh, I remember my older brother worked at Swenson's as a teenager, mm-hmm. and um, I don't think he got anything like that out of his experience working at Swenson's, except eating lots of ice cream. Um, that's uh, that's very cool. Um, what was that like with, uh, when your uh, when your parents divorced and and all that? What kind of impact did that have on you? Well, it had. Um, it was. Uh, let's see what kind of impact, what kind of impact I, I was bummed. You know, I felt like, um, I felt like we, I felt like we were broken. I felt like we had, I felt like something had been broken and I didn't understand it. Um, but the, it, but what happened for me was once I, I've got this superpower to be able to take any situation, good, bad, ugly, beautiful, whatever. And I can make it into a lesson and I can, it's one of my superpowers. I can make it, I can find the gift in it and I can find metaphors for it and I can see where it applies to everything else. And so the gift of that split, which, you know, obviously is incredibly common. Most, many, many people go through it, but the gift personally for me of that split was it had me get really fascinated with, okay, how do you create impact? How do you relate? How do you communicate? How do you, you know, how does, how you take care of yourself? I, I had a big interest in self care at the time as well. You know, how does, how do you take, how, how does, excuse me, how does, how you take care of yourself impact your ability to show up in relationship and to connect with other human beings and to create healthy relationships? Like what where is my responsibility? If I looked at myself, like where is my responsibility as leader to take care of myself so I can be the best for my kids, my relationships, my colleagues, my friends, my spouse, if I ever were to get married, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that the, the gift impact was an obsession with, um, creating impact. How do you relate in a healthy way? Uh, and how does your self care really, really impact all that? Because I, I believe that if we're not taking care of ourselves, it we're, we're, you know, so far behind. And now if we can't take care of ourselves, how in the world can we be as best possible for those people we're supposed to love and lead? Yeah. And in those early years, any other uh, jobs or uh, experiences that started to frame your, uh, yourself really as a leader, because I think it seems even early on, you, it wasn't just about yourself. You started to have that impact on others. Yeah. Yeah. I had, well, I had three little sisters Um, and so I, so I, I, you know, I, I felt a responsibility for them. So that was a gift because that, that taught me responsibility and leadership at a really young age. And then when I went on to college, when I, when I went through school, we moved around a lot. So moving around a lot, um, like we moved my senior year in high school, it, 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 it invited me to be able to make friends quickly and to, um, get curious about people versus, you know, I could, I could choose to, um, hide out and withdraw, or I could choose to like get curious and make more friends. And so that kind of taught me how to land anywhere and make friends. So I think that helped my social skills. Then when I went to school for college, I had to put myself, I put myself through. And so when I was in school, I was doing full-time school. Plus I had an internship. Plus I was, um, teaching group exercise. Plus I was bartending. Plus I was waiting table. Like, so I had a lot of different, um, jobs and I worked for, I remember I worked for a CPA firm and I had a job at target and I, 
you know, so that, that taught me how to get it done. You know, I can remember now I look back at that point in my life and I go, Oh my gosh, there was a point where I was taking 18 units and I was working three different jobs. And I go, how in the world did I do that? And that I look at that now and I go, thank God, because that actually is what gave me so much of my work ethic around. All right, you do what you need to do in order to create the impact you want to create. So I think that was a huge gift too. Yeah. Can you think of any uh, kind of emotional event um, along the way as well that, that may have shaped your leadership approach? Oh, good one. Um, yeah. I mean, this is a really personal one. I've never shared this one. I um, This is our small giants community. Um, I, you know, when, so part of my parents split, they, uh, my dad left. And so I lost track of him for about 11 years. And when I was, um, in my twenties, I, I was bummed about it. I wondered, you know, so I wrote him a letter and I just said, really, um, it was very heartfelt, but I wrote him a letter and I just said, Hey, do you want to come back into my life? And if you want to come back into my life, I would really like for you to get back in the game. And if you don't, that's fine, but I just need, I need completion on it. And I, I think, um, and then he did, he stepped back in and we have a relationship now and it's, it's great. So I think that that when I, when you ask the emotional piece, like that's the first thing that pops up for me. Cause I can remember the, the courage and the fear that I had around doing that, but also a very tender desire to have that reconnection. Um, and then sending that communication out proactively sending that communication out and not knowing what, if anything was going to come back, you know? And so like, when I look at that from a leadership standpoint, it's like, you know, there's courage, there's vulnerability, there's not knowing that you're doing it exactly right. There's being unattached to the outcome, even though you really desire for a stronger outcome. So I think, I think that also has informed part of who I've become, but I've never thought about that honestly until this very second. So. Well, that's, thank you for sharing that. The, uh, and to having the courage to reach out to your dad like that. And, and, uh, look now you're a single parent, right. And, and you're involved in co-parenting and you got teenage kids. And, uh, so how do you, how do you manage through that? And what kind of, uh, as you say, gifts have you gotten through that experience? <laughs> well, you know, um, yes, I How funny is that? Yes, I am a single parent now. I, uh, the, okay. So the gifts of this are this, I, my ex and I were together for a long time. We co-parent very beautifully. We have a tremendous amount of gratitude for each other. We live four miles apart. Um, and when we were going through deciding to complete our marriage, I didn't even think about it as a divorce until actually years later. Um, just from simplicity standpoint, because when I say complete marriage, people go, wait, what does that mean? But I always thought about it as a completion because I looked at it as, you know, relationships, um, have arcs and arcs complete. And we had gotten to the point where it was time to complete. We'd been together for 18 years and we looked at each other and we said, okay, let's, we love each other. Let's complete. And let's really put, um, our care and respect for each other and our kids needs up at the top. And let's see how we now want to design this divorce basically. And so we did when we, we worked with the mediator and the mediator said that it was the most, one of the most collaborative and intentional divorces she'd ever mediated, which I was very grateful for. Um, and the way that it, I think the gifts that I brought from my, from my upbringing around that experience, it kind of helped inform and made me have a stronger commitment to go, okay, I really want to be collaborative with this man that I had children with. So how do we design that? And so it was a very intentional design of, you know, like I said, we live four miles apart. We share custody. Um, we both have agreements to be in this area. We're up in Rockland outside of Sacramento. 
we have agreements to be up here until the kids are out of school. So the kids have, you know, their lives are not, uh, totally shooken up and they have both of us and all this stuff. And so, um, you know, now I think as I look at that, that allowed the way that we handled it allowed both of us to really move through, um, you know, what is, I think the hardest thing in the world to go through personally, um, and to go through it with care and intention. And now it's set it up so we can have a clean relationship. And then the kids benefit from that because, you know, obviously they don't have to deal with all the drama. And, um, and then it just, it also makes me bring my own body of work. It raises the stakes for me to practice what I preach even more because, you know, I only have my kids half time. And so therefore it's even more important that I'm super intentional and present and I take care of myself so I can show up hundred percent for them. So I think, gosh, like I love the question, what other gifts? Cause I think they're probably way too long to list in a, in a, in a quick talk, but, yeah. um, but there's a lot. Yeah. At what point did you decide to kind of make the switch from working for others and going through those jobs and said, you know, this is something that is so important to me. I want to teach it. I want to share it. And I think I can give that gift to others. Oh gosh. Great. Thank you for that question. I always forget about this. Um, so I actually worked for others up until I had my son. And so I had my son in 2000. And when I had him, you know, up until that point, I had worked with athletes. I had worked in corporate America. I'd worked in healthcare. Um, I had run all these, I, I, I'd done a lot of good stuff in my career. And when I had my baby, I said, that's it. I am never working again. Like I, you cannot pay me all the money in the world to leave this kid. And, um, and so I, uh, had made a vow to eat peanut butter and jelly and uh, refried beans or something for the rest of my life and to never, you know, leave his side. And that lasted for about a year and a half. And, um, one day I was sitting in my car, I was waiting to go work out and Jake was asleep in the back seat. And, you know, everyone knows you don't wake up a waking, you don't wake up a sleeping baby. And so I was sitting and waiting for him. And, um, I started to really think about it and I became aware of this very strong feeling in my body where I was like, gosh, I miss my work. You know, like I really miss being out there with my people and doing my work and, um, all the different elements. And, but then I was also very aware that I didn't want to leave him. And so sitting in the car, I literally pulled out a pad of, um, post-its and I started to write out, okay, what were all my favorite things I did in my career? So I pulled, you know, what happened with the athletes? I looked at what happened when I worked with corporate America, healthcare, um, you know, the fitness industry. And I basically created a job description and I had these post-its all around my dashboard. And I was like, Ooh, this is a cool job. And I thought, okay, well, if I had this job, this job would be worth leaving this kid a couple hours a day. You know, this would be worth leaving him. I would, I would feel good. I'd feel on purpose and I'd feel like I could still be a good mom. And so then I, I, you know, went, okay, well, what is that job? And at the time that job did not exist. And so then I basically created a company out of it. And, um, that was the beginning of my company. Now it was, that was, that would have been in 2002, I, you know, went, I worked out, I had a ton of energy. I went home, I woke up the next morning at five o'clock in the morning. I was like, Oh my gosh, I got to create this thing. And so I started to list out like what the business would be. And for the first five years while Jake was growing up and then I had Izzy for the first five years, I really did it super part-time. It started out as just consulting around health and productivity. And then what was interesting was I started to um, I would literally work while my kids were at daycare or sleeping or at preschool or whatever. And I started to attract a lot of business leaders who wanted to do this work with me. 
And um, I thought, well, gosh, I don't know anything about leadership, but it kind of turned out that I did. So I went and I got my credentials for leadership. And then, you know, on and on and on and on, very, very, very long story short, uh, basically in 2007, I realized there's something special here. I want to run with this. I put both feet into the business. In 2009, I realized there was actually a methodology. I had been trying to take the um, the energy and the the healthcare and the body. My, my degree was in kinesiology, actually. That was what I studied in school was the study of the body. So I had tried to take that out of my work in leadership because now I was doing leadership consulting. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was I absolutely couldn't take it out. So I built a model, which now is the IEP method and the IEP methodology. This is, this is what my entire leadership body of work has been built on. Wow. Well, uh, it's great that you've made that transition now um, and to balance uh, what's gone on in your personal life at the same time. But now you're you're a leader with your own organization. You have a small team that's growing uh, as you go out and touch all these companies um, and touch the world. And, and uh, so it uh, can't always go beautifully for you, right? You're trying to be uh, to have all these three things, be intentional yourself. But uh, you've got to be humbled every once in a while in your role, even leading your company. Can you think of a, a, a time that that's happened for you where you had to really stop yourself and say, okay, what, what am I doing? Oh my gosh. Every day, (laughs) every, I feel like that happens every day, Paul. I feel like, um, I feel like there's not a day where I don't, where I don't stop and go, okay, wait a second, hold on a minute. How did I just not contribute to something going well? Or how did I just handle that in a way that could have been so much better? Um, you know, I think when I look at really big things that have happened over the last couple of years, I mean, I've made some really, uh, uh, I don't say unconscious, but not great decisions in some of my hiring. Um, I've done, I've done that. I, I remember, um, uh, you know, years ago back in 2011 was our hardest year. I had, uh, brought on, I brought somebody onto my team that, that I shouldn't have brought. I made it was a personal decision to hire somebody that I had a personal relationship with because I was, I wanted to give them a job basically. And I, I didn't know what I know now and I would do it differently now, obviously, but I brought somebody on my team and then there was a big, a big mistake with a client. And at the same time that I brought this person on the client, um, we ended up ending our contract early and it put my business at that time was probably about half the size in terms of revenues that it is now, maybe even less actually, but it put, it put the business at risk. And then the person that I hired actually ended up leaving. And so like, I was just leadership fail after leadership fail after leadership fail for me. And so like my fault, (laughs) all my stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, um, so I ended up putting a pause on it. I can remember I went home, um, my employee, you know, we, we, we parted ways. The client and I had finished early. Um, I was incredibly, uh, sad and feeling like I did not have anything pulled together. And I remember I went home and I went, okay, you got to pause, like you got to stop. So I took a step back and that led to, that was 2011. That led to me actually really pulling back and realizing that I had been trying to do, trying to be too many things to too many people. I was trying to make too many people happy because I'm, I used to be a people pleaser. I'm not anymore, but I used to like really have that disease. Um, and I was also afraid of saying no. And so, um, I kind of had to pull back, do a lot of personal work around that and really look at what was happening for me that was creating that internally in my own system. So I had to do some work around that, but then I also had to pull back. It gave me the opportunity to pull back and look at, all right, what do I really want this company to be about? 
Who do I really want to be serving? You know, what are the industries that I think we can have the most impact in? And it had me refine the business model and hone it down. And so that it was, you know, we were focusing on four things instead of focusing on 10. Um, And I would say that that was, you know, to me, that was the most painful year um, and humbling. But I would say that every single year since I go through some kind of the same exercise where I go, all right, do we have the right team in place? If the right team is not in place, how am I showing up as a leader that is creating that? What, what, what do I need to do differently to help create the container for the team so that everybody feels like they're totally on purpose? And then I look at who are the people we're working with? What, what is the, what are the industries that we're really going to tackle this year so that we're super intentional about that? Um, and then how can we make our offerings more and more and more simple so that they're more and more accessible to people? And now we've got the business down to the point where there's not a human being that can get access to a computer or the internet or even a printer or get mailed something that cannot access the IEP work either free or for a you know big integration into the company. So we've, we've got it now where it's available to anybody, but it is incredibly simple the way we've mapped it out. So my team is very small and mighty, but we actually really like it that way because we've got the systems to support it. Yeah. And, uh, it's great that this, kind of uh, humbling experience for you uh, allowed you to focus and really get centered about what you wanted your your business to be. And clearly talking to you uh, for these few minutes uh, to not just me, but anybody listening is that you're very high energy and you're very committed to, to all of this. So as you grow your own company and even build your team, um, how do you recruit people to add to your team you know how do you kind of screen for this stuff i'm sure you're open to teaching everybody that you come in contact with but i imagine there's some of this that's inside people that you're trying to to investigate as you're wondering whether they might join your team and how do you do that in a way where they just don't get freaked out or scared away (laughs) that's great um well, it's funny in, in the, in contagious culture, there's a chapter in there. It's called hiring and firing for the energetic good of all. And, you know, if you re, if you go through that chapter one, there's some of my own processes that I use around how I interview and how I look at who's going to be the right fit and am I the right fit for them? So, so I would invite people to take a look at that. Um, th- that chapter, by the way, obviously is all the, you know, in the category of lessons I learned the hard way. Um, and what, you know, now the way that we do it is my team has formed really organically. I mean, I think everybody on my team has been with me for at least five years now, with the exception of one person who's just been with me for two. Um, everybody has grown in their roles. Everyone started as a contractor and came to this work because they believed in the work. So there's a hunger that I look for in the people that join my team. There's a hunger that I'm looking for in them that, you know, says they believe in this content they want to manage their own IEP. They want to practice their own IP. They're lifelong learners. And they're also really devoted to creating impact in service of other people. So when I find those things are happening, then, I, I, then I've got a pretty good sense that they're probably going to be a really good team member. And then to me, the skills are important, but I'm actually more, it's more important to me that they've got that internal, like their own IEP is such that they're in service of and they're devoted. So if I can feel that, then we can train them up around any skills that they need. But, but we've been really, really, I mean, there've been, there've been a lot of ins and outs on my team, especially over the last two years of just bringing people in for a little bit. They, they come in as a contractor, serve as a vendor. They're kind of testing us out. We're testing them out. You know, and I use the word test in a really loving way. And, um, and then, you know, 
the ones that are here now are the ones I think right now my team is the strongest it's ever been um, in the last 15 years. So I feel really grateful for that. The other, the other piece, and this is actually maybe even more relevant is we've, because this work is growing the way it is, we've started what we call stewardship and stewardship is where I take other people that love this content that, um, work inside their companies and they want to learn how to teach the IEP method in their own organizations. And so these stewards come in, um, they work with me for four days and that's a year long, you know, then they've got a year access afterwards to like get some more support. And basically they learn how to teach the half day fundamentals. And that has been really interesting because that model has been, we've been doing that for about four years, really more intensively for about the last 18 months. And that model has been really beautiful because it's given me the opportunity to sort to build a new kind of team where these people are now actually out in the world representing the work. And we found that it was so, um, successful or it's been so useful that, um, that, that we've actually built a certification program of all the stewards that we had. We pulled four of those people to be certified. They're working with me right now. And this is going to be my team that now goes out on my behalf to, um, my clients. And so that, that's an interesting new edge that we're on of, of building that particular team because the people that are out actually teaching this work. Oh, I love it. you got great ambassadors out there um, spreading the word for you and, and uh, touching even more people and more companies. Tell me about the sheep apocalypse. What's that about? What happened? My son calls, says, Mom, check out the security cameras in the backyard. you got to see what's going on. I turn on the security cameras, Paul, and all I can see are sheep butts pushed up against my windows. <laughs> and... I do not have sheep. Like I do not have sheep. So what had happened was there were sheep down, um, in the common areas of our neighborhood and they come in and they graze and they do weed abatement and they keep the grass short. So for fires and rattlesnakes and somehow these sheep had gone up to my yard, had broken through my wrought iron fence, bent it. And by the time I got home, I had 120 sheep in my backyard, destroying it. If people go onto my Instagram account, um, they can find these pictures. They were hilarious, but there are sheep everywhere. The, the entire yard is destroyed. Our furniture is destroyed. Like stuff that was built in granite is knocked over. We have a pond. The water lines are all messed up. Like they, like it's a apocalypse. And my kids are in their glory. You know, they're having such a good time with it. They're like, mom, this is the best thing that's ever happened. They're running around with the sheep. I am not, I am, um, I had just <laughs> invested in a bunch of landscaping. Um, my birthday was the day before, so we had a big barbecue, um, and I'm standing there going, okay, my yard is completely ruined. So I had this moment, there was this, you know, it was like the Baskin Robbins world-class chocolate moment where I'm sitting there and, you know, there's more detail obviously, but basically I have this moment where I'm feeling contracted. I'm feeling stressed out. I'm feeling angry. I am, you know, I start clapping and trying to get the sheep out. I'm trying to force the sheep out. The sheep start panicking. Um, they start climbing over each other, trying to get away from me. My kids start panicking. My kids go from being super, super excited and like so joyful to being stressed out. And now they're clapping at the sheep because I'm contagious, you know? So my energy is having a negative impact on everything around and it's just making things worse. And so I have this moment where I go, whoa, 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 whoa. What is the experience I actually want to create right now? And I take a deep breath. And I, I do what I call bubbling up. It's the presence reboot and the IEP work. And I do a quick bubble up and I close my eyes and it's about 30 seconds. And I go, all right, what is the experience I want to create right now? How do I want to show up? You know, 
what, what is the gift of this? Like there's a gift here. So what, what is the gift? There's something that is important about this happening right now. And by the time I opened my eyes about 30 seconds later, by the time I opened my eyes, um, my yard looks completely different. And I go, Oh my gosh, I've got all these sheep in my backyard. You know, like this, who gets that? That's, this is amazing. Like, look at these beautiful sheep. And now the sheep look really beautiful. And they're like bang really nicely. Whereas three minutes before they were vicious little sheep and the whole experience turned, you know, then my kids catch onto that energy and the kids start running around again. And then they're trying to, my daughter's trying to direct the sheep to my rose bushes. And it turns this, you know, huge, chaotic, crazy, contracted, stressful situation into this incredibly different, beautiful scenario that ends up being one of the most, um, favorite moments my kids and I have ever had together. And we now call it the apocalypse. But the thing was the thing that the, the metaphor of that is like nothing changed in that the sheep still kept coming in. They were still pooping everywhere. What changed was me. I actually stopped and was able to reboot and then create a different experience for myself. And then ultimately, of course, the sheep did leave the sheep herder showed up. And then I was able to then take that apocalypse and go, all right, where else do we have sheep coming in? You know, what's the metaphor here? Where else do we have sheep coming in in our business licensing model? Cause we had just started licensing content and lo and behold, I get on the phone with my team the next day and I go, you guys, we had a ton of sheep in my backyard last week. Like or yesterday, let's look at where might we be loose on our boundaries? Where do we need to tighten up our agreements? Where do we need to tighten up agreements with each other? Where do we have um, sheep sneaking through the back fence? And, and it was all in our licensing. So we were able to change the licensing model and then clean up some agreements as a team. And it turned into a beautiful gift. Wow. I think uh, I see sheep on the cover of your next book. Um, uh, and I, I can actually attest to something quite similar that happened to me this year. And it wasn't sheep. It was a deer deer apocalypse. <laughs> so, uh, but it was just one and he was hanging upside down from, uh, on our wrought iron fence, um, in, in the back of our property. And, uh, the moment for me was to just say, now, what am I, what do I do? I can't lift this guy up by myself and get him off. And, you know, it was a good test of, uh, resources and getting help and, and realizing our limitations. But, uh, ultimately when, when we got him off of there and he was able to trot away, hopefully unharmed, it, uh, it, it was a really good feeling. So, oh um, I can, I, I get the, uh, the craziness that you go through and that's, that's an incredible story. And so Anise, as we kind of, uh, almost close up here, I'm trying to think of with all the things that you've talked about in terms of qualities of people or qualities of leaders, uh, if you had to narrow down now kind of the primary or most important quality of a leader, what would it be? Yeah. Um, can I have three? Sure. <laughs> uh, they, they all go together. Uh, the first is presence, like just the ability to be present in the moment and to command your own presence. I think that's one quality. The other is the quality of gratitude like absolutely coming from a place of gratitude, no matter what is happening. And the final quality is the ability to lead from love. Yeah, those are, those are three worthwhile ones. So, um, as you look back at, uh, these incredible gifts and lessons, I'm not going to call them lessons learned anymore. I'm going to call them gifts, um, that, you know, in your career, which is, uh, ongoing and you, you met somebody young that was starting out in their career and said, Anise, I'd love to be just like you. What kind of advice would you give them? 
Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I love that. Uh, I would tell them to take really good care of themselves. Um, like excellent care of themselves to really nourish their instrument of change, you know, so that they're the best vessel possible and they they feel as clear as possible. I would tell them to, um, get clear on what their space is to really start to do work around defining their own space, you know? So whether that's through meditation or, um, just some of the IEP work or whatever, just to really define their own space and to learn how to hold it and stay in their business, um, versus getting sucked into everybody else's business. Um, I would tell them that people are going to tell them that they are amazing and people are going to tell them that they suck and that they should believe none of them. <laughs> um, and I would tell them to really get connected to what is the impact that they want to have in the world. Like what do they, what's their purpose? What do they want to do with this beautiful life? And then I would say, hook onto that and devote to that. And if you do all the other things I just offered you, it's going to be a lot easier, a lot cleaner, and a lot more pleasurable. Yeah, that is that is that is great advice. Um, all right, so I want to just ask you some really quick uh, quick hit questions, kind of a name association game, and just tell me the the first thing that comes to your mind. And I may have changed these up a little bit, but uh, can you name a, a leader, uh, famous or not, that you look up to? Oh gosh, I yeah, the first person that comes to my mind is Brene Brown. Mm. And and Eleanor Roosevelt, those two come up to my mind. Yeah, um, she's great. How about a great book that influenced your leadership style? Oh, Arbinger Institute Leadership and Self Deception. That's a yeah. good one. And yeah. uh, how about your favorite movie? Oh my gosh! Right now it's Under the Tuscan Sun. It's a total chick flick, but I love it. Oh, I remember that movie. <laughs> it um, makes me. <laughs> uh, all right, but how about? Uh, favorite tv series to binge watch oh um oh gosh binge watch tv series <gasps> oh it's um this is us right now oh yeah did I've you watch yeah one. did you watch the, everybody else <laughs> you watch it after the super bowl or whatever when the <laughs> yeah. that big yeah um that's a good one my wife's uh into that one all right and uh although it's clear you're pretty much of an open book is there something about you that many people do not know <laughs> It's clear that I'm an open book. Uh oh. <laughs> um, gosh, I know I'm probably I don't have an open book. Ah, uh, let's see. Is there something people don't know? You know, people don't know that I used to fence in college. That always surprises people. I was a fencer. Really? Yeah. Not for too okay. long. I just did it for a year, but it was really it was really fun. It's a lot harder than it looks. Yeah, that's cool. Very cool. That's, um, um, yeah. Well, you know, you are, uh, you've given us a gift today, Anise, uh, with your story and everything that you've learned, uh, you know, a few takeaways that I, that I have, um, this idea of just being intentional about presence, right? So we're, we're all, we're all somewhere at some time and, and to it's the matter of stopping and understanding where you are at that moment is just so important. I think about that in, uh, in all aspects of life. And I just, um, I'm a big tennis player and I just, uh, mm-hmm. I've been reading about this, that, you know, for athletes too, just at the moment to just stop and say, you know, what's happening right now and, and, and what am I doing and what the impact, um, I'm having, um, these ideas of the, the, th- what the three factors, the, the impact that I have, the idea of self-care and how that, uh, 
folds into all of it is so important. And then kind of leadership style. You said, you know, do I leave dead bodies along the way? Am I that more traditional command and control style leader or a much more collaborative leader? And being just uh, aware of the um, the presence that I have. And so I think, uh, although I was, you know, half joking at the beginning where people might look at some of these words or the approach. And, and I think when I first met you, honestly, it was like, okay, I, I don't get this stuff. Right. Um, and so, um, I think people have to just be open and realize that it's not the words it's, it's no. the, it's, it's, uh, how you avail yourself and how you're open to these ideas. And, and as we think about it, it just makes so much sense. Um, I just love how simple it is that, that when we walk in a room, um, there's an impact that we have and we have control over that. I think we have control over all of this. The, uh, the early lessons learned from, um, chocolate ice cream and, uh, which will always be your favorite now. Cause it taught you, um, <laughs> it taught you not about integrity. It taught you that you had integrity, um, mm-hmm. because you were willing to just right away admit something that, that, uh, um, you knew wasn't the right thing. And, and you were given credit for that, uh, which yeah. was so great. Even mm-hmm. this idea of, you know, what you called, you know, the end of your marriage or relationship completion or a marriage completion. And, and to think about in our businesses that many of our relationships at some point need to be completed. And there is that, that yeah. um, journey that we go through. And whether it's a personal or professional one, sometimes it takes courage to make the decision and to realize that that relationship may need to be completed. And if you do it in a, with love and you do it with compassion, um, it doesn't mean it's the wrong thing. Um, you know, that mistakes are gifts that all along the way, you know, I, I think with, I think all the people that I talk to on the podcast that I meet, if we break it all away, we're all flawed. We're all humbled constantly. <laughs> we're all figuring this out, but you've been able to take this and turn it into an actual model, not just for, for business, uh, but, uh, for life. And to think about how when we bring new people into our lives or we're recruiting new uh, team members for our business, how important it is that people genuinely believe in what we're doing, uh, genuinely believe in uh, the product or service that we're selling, uh, the philosophy and the way that we do it, and to have the patience to really try to find those people because they're out there and to realize that we're not going to bat a thousand percent. Uh, and at some point, we have to realize the mistake, not that they've made in being a part of our business, but that we made in choosing them. And yes. Um, yes. and uh, to take those, lastly, those lessons like the, uh, I, I don't know how to say it, the sheep apocalypse, but you did it in one word, sheep apocalypse. <laughs> and, uh, and realize that those are all, uh, you know, it's just take a deep breath. And, yeah. and look at the look at the bright side, look at the positive things. So there's a lot of what you say in your model that I think people can translate into their lives with presence, with gratitude, with leading uh, from love. And so uh, I, I just think if we all stop, uh, relax, understand how we're present today and in this moment, uh, we're all going to be better for it. And so thank you so much, Anise, for uh, sharing these messages with us today. Oh gosh, Paul, thank you so much. That was such a beautiful recap. Holy smokes. That was so beautifully put. 
Well, you've got a lot to offer, and thank you for offering it to us. And I'm so happy that you are going to be joining us and speaking at our annual Small Giants Summit in May in Detroit. So for any of our listeners that haven't registered, please do it. You're going to hear more from Anise and her incredible story. And more more than that, she's going to help us all be present in that moment. So please join us there. So thank you very much, Anise. And thank you all for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. Until next time.